The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. Endometriosis is a chronic condition and it is estimated that 1 in 10 women of reproductive age suffer from this condition. So what is endometriosis? Why do we get it? And what can we do about it if we're diagnosed? All these questions we cover today when I speak with Dr Jade Acton, who is a gynaecologist and an ages advanced laparoscopic surgeon at St John of God Hospital in Subiaco. How many Australian women and perhaps globally are suffering from this condition? So we've always used the statistics to say about one in 10 women in the world were diagnosed with endometriosis. But recently in Australia, we've had a large population study that has shown that actually by the age of about 45, one in nine Australian women are diagnosed with endometriosis. Okay. And is that similar globally? Is it a global issue? or It is. So like I said, worldwide, we think it's about one in 10. So yes. that's certainly in keeping with, with what we think going on everywhere. Okay. And so is it increasing then? So we don't know whether it's actually increasing or perhaps we're actually getting better at diagnosing it because it's a disease that as the community and we as medical professionals become more aware of it, perhaps Mm. we're looking for it a little bit more. So that same um, group of women that we recently studied looked at the younger age group. And Mm -hmm. when they looked at women who were in about their 25 to 30s, they had about a 7% um, chance of being diagnosed with endometriosis. And in that same population 20 years ago, the diagnosis rate was only about 5%. So although it's increased, it's hard to know whether the disease is becoming more prevalent or whether we're actually just getting better at diagnosing it. And so then who is at more risk? So anyone who has more periods is at more risk. So if you haven't had children, you're at a greater risk. If you get your periods when you're younger, you're at at greater risk. If you have your periods for longer, then you're at greater risk. Mm. Um, If you've got a shorter cycle and you bleed more often. We also know that if you've got a family history of endometriosis, that that increases your risk of a diagnosis. And also if you've got some kind of congenital anomaly in your reproductive tract, then that can increase your risk as well. And what are some signs and symptoms that perhaps we should be looking out for? So the problem with making a diagnosis of endometriosis is that the signs and symptoms are quite vague and varied and there's no one specific symptom that um, ensures that you've got a diagnosis. The most common is pain with the period Mm. and this generally starts in the lead up to and prior to the bleeding and continues throughout and so that would be the most common Mm. but then other symptoms that are very 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 common are things like um, cyclical bloating or bowel disturbance at the time of the period, uh, pain during intercourse, cycle irregularities, so heavy periods or getting some irregular bleeding throughout. And the problem is, is that perhaps um, we think, oh, that's quite normal, isn't it? Is that is that the Abs- issue? Is yeah, that we absolutely. all when we talk amongst ourselves, it's like, oh, that's very normal with a period. Absolutely, and I think we don't talk about it enough as well. And I see lots of young women who have missed school and missed days of work every month for years and years and years, and have normalised this, and that's mm. not normal. Yes. Um, and I think that the more we talk about this, and the more we talk about what's not normal, and when you should seek help the better we will become at 
um, diagnosing this condition. So is one key message just to start mm. is to, if if you feel uncomfortable, if you're feeling those signs, at least have that conversation with your GP. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think it's really important to know that the research says that women probably do complain about their periods up to about five to seven times before they see somebody who says, oh, you might have endometriosis. Mm. So I guess the key message is that um, for patients, yes, mention it, but also for other medical professionals to think about it and consider it mm. um, and to you know refer on and investigate um, earlier than what we have been. And is it also having those discussions with your mum or with your family and say, absolutely. Is, this, is this something that is normal or, yeah. or we've considered normal in our family? Look, absolutely. I think sometimes the problem with discussing it with your mum, though, is that we know that you're much more likely to have the disease if your mum did. Mm. So mum's probably had really painful periods as well. So maybe your girlfriend's when you're getting a bit more of a varied approach. True. And so then can women then go undiagnosed? Absolutely. So again, one of the greatest difficulties with this disease is the diagnosis is not easy. So I can't make a diagnosis based on someone's symptoms. I can't make a diagnosis based on someone's examination. And I can't make a diagnosis based on a blood test or an ultrasound because in most women, it will not show up on any of these things. They will have normal exam and a normal um, ultrasound. So the only way to actually make a diagnosis definitively is to have a laparoscopy. Mm. And that obviously takes quite a number of referral steps to get to that stage, mm. but it's also an invasive procedure to undertake to make a diagnosis. Okay. And is it something that obviously is done by a specialist? Yeah, correct. So a gynecologist would be able to diagnose um, endometriosis at laparoscopy. And is it just a day procedure? It depends a little bit on the nature of your disease. Mm -hmm. So probably about half of my patients who are having their first laparoscopy would be able to go home the same day. Mm -hmm. And generally about a week to two weeks recovery from the procedure and the other half would um, be at least one night in hospital and that will depend on the nature and how much of the disease they actually have. Okay and then once a diagnosis is made where to from here in terms of treatment for someone? Yeah sure so surgery is not a cure for the disease and the reason for that is we don't quite understand what's causing it and although if you have a surgery and the disease is removed it's not removing the process or the reason why you had the diagnosis. So of women who have surgery, about 50% will recur and will have some ongoing disease or need another laparoscopy in the future. We know that to help reduce that, we can use some hormonal therapy. The reason for that is that the disease essentially is hormonally sensitive. And a basic way of thinking about it is that estrogen will help to make it grow and progesterone will help to make it shrink. And so post-surgery, we can use medications to help reduce the risk of it recurring. And so what is endometriosis? So endometriosis is a disease where tissue that's similar to the lining of the uterus or the endometrium, which is what you shed every month when you have your period, is present outside of the uterus. Mm. And it generally grows over the surface of the pelvic organs, but it also can grow anywhere in the body. So it's been reported in the lungs and in the brain, in the literature as well. The disease is hormonally sensitive, as I said, and so every month the increasing estrogen levels will help it to grow, essentially. Mm. 
it creates a problem because the the um, tissue shouldn't be there, mm. and it creates a lot of inflammation. It produces chemicals called prostaglandins and cytokines, which initiate an inflammatory response in the pelvis, and that's what causes the pain, the scar tissue, um, the inflammation, the problems with the bowel, all of those kind of symptoms. And is that why hormonal treatment can be a part of the solution? Correct. Yeah, that's right. So as I said, the basic premise is that progesterone will help to treat the disease. But one of the biggest problems that we have uh, with treatment is that the disease tends to be a little bit progesterone resistant. So mm. it's not as simple as progesterone will make it shrink. So therefore, if I give you progesterone, you'll get better. And so when you when you say surgery, what's involved? So uh, endometriosis surgery should be performed laparoscopically. The mm. one exception to that may be if someone has very, very extensive disease that requires multiple surgeons and that changes the approach, mm. but um, should always be laparoscopically. It would have an incision in through the belly button and then two or three smaller incisions lower down. The abdomen is filled with carbon dioxide so that there is some working space inside the pelvis and then the pelvis and the abdomen is inspected. The disease can be treated in two ways. So it can either be excised, which means to cut out, or ablated, which means to be burnt. Mm. And as I said earlier, um, the disease is kind of growing on the organs in the pelvis or the lining of the pelvis. And a good way to think about this is if you think about the lining of the pelvis being like a layer of glad wrap, that layer of glad, glad wrap can be picked up off the sidewall and then cut out. So that's how you can cut it out. So the evidence says that for early endometriosis, either excision or ablation is effective and are equal in, in efficacy. However, for anything deeper than superficial disease, it should be excised, it should be cut out mm. to help reduce the risk of the recurrence. And can it keep coming back? It can. Oh, what a shame. Yeah, it's really challenging. Yeah, it would be. How does someone then make the right decision for them if they sort of say, oh, you know, they err on the side of caution, perhaps they've had surgery initially and they think... I want to try something else, would then they move on to hormonal treatment or are you doing both? So most of the time, um, by the time women come to see me, they mm. usually have had some form of hormonal therapy because the treatment for painful periods, whether it be endometriosis or other causes, is generally to decrease the number of periods that someone has. So most women, by the time they see me, will have tried the pill or tried something mm. like that. And generally what I say to them to help them make the decision about what they should do from then on is it's about their symptoms and mm. about how much it's affecting their life and whether they could cope with another six months of not having an improvement or perhaps having worsening of their symptoms and therefore, yes, we could try some further medical th treatment mm. or whether they're at the stage where they really sort of need something else done. Recurrence is harder to know when to do the right thing because, as I said, uh, it's very difficult to diagnose. So when someone comes back with a recurrence of symptoms after an initial surgery, it's really hard for me to know whether there definitively is more disease there or not. And so, again, it's about a change in their symptoms over time and about whether maybe we have tried some hormonal therapy and it hasn't improved. But it's a very personal decision mm. about when to have an operation. And that's why it's really important to have formed a relationship with your gynaecologist mm. and trust them to help you make the right decision. And is it something that they'll have forever? So if they're diagnosed as a young woman, that they'll have it to manage the rest of their life? 
Pretty much, yes. Yeah. So there are some women who will have their surgery and then never have a recurrence of symptoms. Oh, that's amazing. But probably most will have at least some recurrence or at least need to be mindful of the fact that this might be going on for the rest mm. of their life. And for some women that may be as simple as saying, okay, well, I'm going to stay on hormonal treatment until I'm menopausal, mm. whereas for others it will be that they have repeated surgeries and need repeated interventions. And so is it actually possible then for women to get pregnant and, and have a healthy baby? Yeah, so that's this a really important question because I think often women are given a diagnosis of endometriosis and then think that it's a fertility death sentence mm. and it's really important to know that it's not. So actually the vast majority of women with endometriosis will conceive without a problem and have a baby without a problem. We think about a third will have some issues with fertility and even within that group, almost all of them will have have a baby with some type of intervention. So the way that endometriosis affects fertility is predominantly in two ways. The first is that inflammatory mm. response that I spoke about earlier. And so that inflammation just makes it a difficult um, area for conception to actually occur. And it probably also affects pregnancies of women who do conceive. So we know that women with endometriosis have a higher first um trimester miscarriage rate and again we think that's probably because of the inflammation mm. and therefore the placenta not implanting as it should and then the second way that endometriosis can affect fertility is that it can cause a lot of scarring in the pelvis and that scarring can change the anatomy and therefore make it physically harder to conceive Mm. But invariably it's possible when you've got patients like that have had that oh, successful journey. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of my very first severe endometriosis patients I saw only a few weeks ago and she oh. came in with her one-year-old daughter. So I think that's a really important message that it is not a fertility death sentence, mm. but it is something to be mindful of. And it's a condition that with good relationships, medical relationships around you, that it's a condition that can be managed. Yes, I think so. Yeah. And what are some myths that we should sort of demyth today? So I think the first one that I'd said before was that um, it means you can't have a baby, mm. okay? But I think the other thing surrounding pregnancy is that often women are told that if they just go and have a baby, their endometriosis will get better. Yes. And we just don't know what that actually means. Certainly, yes, while they're pregnant, their disease will improve because they're not having periods every month and they're not having that hormonal cycles. But we have no long-term data to tell you what it actually does long-term. So yeah. that's a myth. The second is that teenagers are too young to get endometriosis. And I think we disregard teenagers with painful periods very often. So they can? They absolutely can. So mm -hmm. it's actually been diagnosed in um, girls as young as eight. Wow. So, you know, the mechanism about how it happens is not age related. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's really important for us to look at adolescents as a group who can have endometriosis. And while they may not have a need to have surgery early, we should be managing them and considering it as an option rather than just telling them to get over it and to go to school. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I can't believe people would say that because yeah. it sounds like it can be extraordinarily painful for people. And so are there ways that we can prevent getting endometriosis? Not that we know yet. So yeah. that's certainly an area that we um, are, that it will be looked at and, you know, 
this is a really hot topic mm. at the moment, which is fantastic. Um, and there's lots of research going on around the world, but certainly there's nothing that we have any clear evidence of uh, currently. And what what is current research? So for people that are out there listening to this episode that are perhaps suffering this condition, is there anything they, they can look forward to that's sort of progressing in terms of research? Yeah, so... Um, it, what I've been saying to my patients at the moment is that Australia is actually a fantastic country to live in if you have endometriosis at the moment. So we're the first country in the world to have a national action plan on endometriosis. And the government has pledged um, nearly $8 million in money for research. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Basically, most of the research is divided into two camps. So we know that about 50% of endometriosis is caused by your epigenetics or your genes. Mm. And so there's a lot of research going into that and then the other half is to do with environmental factors mm. and so that's kind of the main two groups there's always research going on about treatment for endometriosis but that's really hard to do because mm. you need a large number of women to be able to get any meaningful results and part of the national action plan has been the formulation of kind of a national research group and that will mean that we actually can start doing some clinical trials australia-wide looking at which oral contraceptive pill is actually the best one for us to be on? Mm. What's the best way of preventing the disease from coming back after you have had surgery? Mm. And all of those things where you need large numbers to be able to do. And so if someone's listening out there who's had surgery, they've been on um, Marina or, uh, for a long time and they just want to not be on those, go down those paths, are there other options for them that they might be able to consider? So there's definitely other ways that you can help to manage the disease. And I've got a lot of patients who don't like hormones and who mm. make the choice not to be on hormones. Um, so I work with a great naturopath and I think there's certainly some excellent natural therapies that can help to reduce inflammation in the body and that can be really beneficial. There's also good evidence that things like uh, lifestyle interventions, so regular exercise and a healthy diet can help with pain and chronic pain that can develop from endometriosis. So there are lots of other ways that you can can help to manage your disease. I think for most women, those need to be in combination with some medical therapy as well, mm. but it's certainly an option to trial without it if that's what you really want to do. And so when you're talking about diet and mm. perhaps some other natural forms of therapy, would your advice is to go to perhaps naturopaths that might be specialising in that area? Because are they specialising? Yeah, in that so area? there certainly are. I know of about three in Perth mm. um, who specialise in women's health. I think it's really important to have a team who looks mm. after you when you have endometriosis. So this is not a disease that I as a gynecologist can indi individually manage mm. or as a GP can individually manage and you really do need a team. Mm. I think it's important to choose the right team though mm. and, you know, your gynecologist or your GP is probably a good person to start with that and to get recommendations of where you should go. Mm. And so are they, um, when you're looking at those other regimes, whether it's your diet, whether it's other natural forms of therapy, are they working on the information part? So definitely from the natural therapy point of view, they're working on inflammation. Mm -hmm. I think diet um, is quite individual. Mm. Um, so there's a large crossover between endometriosis and irritable bowel syndrome. About 30% of endometriosis patients probably have IBS as well. So therefore using some FODMAP diet type modifications can help women with endometriosis as well. I often get women to keep a bit of a food diary mm. um, and then they might find certain foods do increase their pain, but that's more of an individual 
choice and individual modification rather than a general one that I can give everyone the advice on. There's good evidence to say that exercise will help with pain um, rather than endometriosis itself, but the biggest problem with endometriosis is pain. Mm. Um, And so we know that regular exercise is a really great improvement for that. Sometimes there can be some exercise that makes things worse. And so, again, that's good discussion to actually have. But we know that perhaps high-intensity, high-impact exercise probably needs to be modified a little bit. Um, But any type of exercise is better than nothing. Mm. Weight, not quite as much evidence to say one way or the other. But certainly we know that women who are overweight have naturally higher estrogen. And so perhaps that can make their disease worse. And are there treatments like are the treatments like acupuncture and things like that worthwhile? So there's a little bit of emerging evidence looking at acupuncture, um, and certainly we think that again for the pain side of things that may help, um, but that's all new as yeah. well. And so it's worth, as you say, getting a team around you, taking on perhaps asking around, um, getting recommendations. Absolutely, the way you know, there's great endometriosis support groups based in every city, and then national ones as well. And I think it's good to form a community and mm. to ask for advice because as I said it's a disease that's not really very well understood by a lot of people and so you do want to be with the right team. That's true and what are some maybe key messages for us to finish off on that may be suffering the condition or that may be suffering out there in pain and haven't really reached out to someone? So I think The first thing is to say this is a really important condition and we should be talking about it. So we know that for women with endometriosis, it costs them about $30,000 a year in uh, medical expenses and missing work. And we know that it costs the Australian government about $7.4 billion a year. Most of that's in lost productivity, but also in medical costs. So this is important and we should be talking about it. The second thing is if you do have period pain or other pelvic symptoms that is impacting your life, that's making you miss work or miss school on a regular basis, that's not normal and you should seek advice. And then my third thing is to choose your team well. So this is a disease where you need to form a relationship with your team and particularly your gynecologist. They need to have adequate skill and they need to have adequate tools and a team to help manage. So make sure you do choose someone who knows what they're doing. And they would um, probably be able to find that when they really read someone's biography and find out if that's their niche area that perhaps they're they're passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can ask as well. Mm. I love when patients ask me, you know, is this what you do? What's your experience? Because I've got nothing um, to hide in that way. I'm very happy to talk about that this is what I like doing and this is why I like doing it. Um, I think the other thing is, uh, so Endometriosis Australia um, is releasing a document currently that talks about how to choose your spe- specialist. Mm. And then AGES, the Australian uh, Gynae Endoscopy Society, is also currently working on a document that gives patients that information about what questions to ask. So there is hope in the future very soon to give um, patients a tool on how to choose their specialist. And I suppose that's using our online platform for good. (laughs) Absolutely. Looking for networks, really reaching out for other people that might be suffering the condition, but also associations and societies out there that are very well credited. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, absolutely welcome. A big thank you to Dr Acton for sharing her knowledge with us today on Meditalk. To learn more about Dr Acton, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, Please share, as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. 
To listen to more episodes of Meditalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.